Welcome to Church Online. I am so excited that you have joined us this morning. I'm Pastor Matt. I pray that our worship will be exciting and uplifting. I pray that the ministry of the Word will work in your heart and that the Lord will do something special. Thank you again for joining us and enjoy the service. Take your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter number one, and we are going to go to verse 10. Verse 10 through 17. And I'm gonna apologize ahead of time. I've had some, uh, oh, yeah. First, I'm gonna say teens. Love you, God bless you. Have a great service, you're dismissed. Is that Siri? I hear Siri. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm gonna apologize ahead of time for the congestion and it's allergies, I promise. Um, but man, it's been a rough year. I've, I've, it's like every night, three Benadryl, just so that I can breathe. Uh, the pollen's pretty bad. Um, but I'm, I'm getting some relief and it's been a little bit better the last couple days. But anyway, if I'm hacking and carrying on. I apologize uh, ahead of time because it's probably gonna happen. Uh, I'm not trying to gross you out. Uh, but anyway, man, I'm pumped about this. I couldn't, I couldn't run off and, and jump into verse 18. Really, chapter one, verse 18, on through chapter four is dealing with this topic of, really, if, if we could put a name, kind of a, maybe a crude name to it, it would be like earth's wisdom versus heaven's wisdom. And that's really the first thing that he's gonna tackle. And Paul's gonna jump into it and he's gonna hit it headlong. But he gives one more kind of warning and one more introductory from verse 10 to verse 17. And verse 17, we're gonna see it today, really is the groundwork for verse 18 through chapter four. And I just couldn't, I couldn't run off and leave it. There's some really good stuff. Um, so we're gonna cover just chapter one, verse 10 through 17, which is a much, much smaller portion of scripture than we normally cover. Uh, but I think you're gonna be blessed today. Stay with me, it develops, it unfolds. Uh, and I, I think that maybe some of the things that are a little more nuanced or that you would maybe think, is it semantics? Is he kind of, is what he's saying, does it really matter? Is it that important? I promise you it is. And I'm gonna give some Old Testament, that was loud. I'm gonna give some Old Testament uh, significance to this and really kind of tie things back and, and build a framework that I missed originally coming through this passage. Uh, but I think after I see it, I think it's abundantly clear what Paul is doing. Um, so without further ado, let's jump in. And if you missed last week's message, I don't have time. I don't, I don't want to waste a whole lot of time uh, expounding and, and doing a lot of groundwork. We did that last week. So there are going to be uh, missing pieces for you if you didn't hear last week's message. So just go back on our podcast or online and listen to last week's message because uh, each one will stand on their own, but last week we, we gave some context. And the context, if I summed it up into one sentence, it would be this. Paul is writing to a city, the, the city, ancient city, modern city of Corinth, and it is the Las Vegas of the ancient world. So understand that jumping into this text, Paul is riding to the Las Vegas of the ancient world. He is gonna jump into some uh, egregious sins, some crazy things that are happening in this church. Uh, wild stuff that we're gonna deal with. A lot of sexual immorality, a lot of just wrong thinking. But as you'll see this week, 
he qualifies all of that by what he deals with in verse 10 to verse 17. And I think it's easy for us, uh, it's low-hanging fruit in our minds, excuse me, Mm. that's good, that's good, one one more, (laughs) perfect. It's low-hanging fruit in our mind to say that was their problem. And we do this in our own lives all the time. We say the egregious sin, the fornication, the adultery, that's the problem. The addiction, that's the problem. The pornography, that's the problem. Long before that manifested itself, there was the actual problem. And so what I see here is Paul clearly, he takes this fillet knife, all scripture is given, right, for inspiration, reproof, correction, instruction, righteousness. We also know that it is a two-edged sword, rightly dividing soul and spirit, bone and marrow. Paul takes his sword and he just fillets this church wide open from verse 10 to verse 17 in an excellent way, in a loving way that shows the root of the problem. And then the rest of the book, I believe we're gonna discuss the problems. And it's important to discuss the problems. It's not okay to leave these stones unturned. It's not okay to ignore problems in your marriage and your child rearing, but it would be ignorant for us to say that those are the problems. This came from something. There's a reason why this church ended up in the hot mess that they're in, and it's not because they're in the Vegas of the ancient world. That's a cop-out, that's an excuse. Likewise, if you remain ignorant and if you remain in a position of stagnant, not growing faith, it's, it's because you didn't recognize your real problem. And you didn't deal with the root issue and the root cause. But let me tell you, today, here's the title of the message. If I can scroll, I'm on my phone today, still having problems with this dog on Evernote, but here it is, the cause of chaos. The message today, the title of the message is the cause of the chaos. I believe this is the cause of it. Okay, let's read some, uh, let's read some scripture. Look at your Bibles, it's in the program if you need it. I did paste it in there. Uh, so uh, chapter one, verse 10. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, now I urge you, there's a shift, right? He just got done saying, I thank my God for you and in, in the Lord and in the church and the fact that you're a faith community in the name of Jesus, that's great, right? And now he shifts gears. He says, I urge you, The tone changed, do you see it? Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can't overstate that. That's gonna have some significance, the major significance today in today's message. So he says, I urge you or I implore you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say. And there's three things here that you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. So Paul is saying, I I want unity. I don't want divisions. I want you to be united in your convictions. Verse 11, for it has been reported to me, for it has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by the members of Chloe's people, that there is a rivalry among you. This is the root, the cause of the chaos. There's a rivalry among you. What I am saying is this, one of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Those are all 
Paul, Apollos was a preacher, an apostle, if you will. Cephas is, is another name for Peter. It's the apostle Peter. Or he says some of you are just claiming to be Christ's. But it's not necessarily, we don't know for sure, but it doesn't seem like a good connotation to the way they're claiming Christ, right? This is all kind of in a negative light. And then verse 13, Paul clears himself of this. He says, look, is Christ divided? And we know the answer to that. Was Paul crucified for you? He throws himself in there. Or, or were you baptized in Paul's name? I thank God, this is kind of funny. He says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I did, in fact, baptize. He's like, oh, wait, there was one. <laughs> I did, in fact, baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't recall if I baptized anyone else. Look at verse 17, and we'll stop here. For Christ did not send me to what? Baptize, but to preach the gospel. This is so key here. Not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. All of this, verse 10 to verse 17, it is, is saying, look, all of this is, it's a major issue, a major problem, because if we don't fix this, the cross will be emptied of its power. Can you imagine literally just going through the motions, going to church your entire life and getting to the end of your life, reaching the kingdom of God and its fruition, and the Lord says, you had no power with you. There was no effect to what you did. Man, what a, I don't want that. I want, what did, he, what did he say about Paul? You fought a good fight. You finished the course. You have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. That's what I want. I want God to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I don't want my life to be emptied of what really mattered, and that's what's on the line here. Paul is saying, if you're not careful, literally the gospel is the main thing, and it's gonna be emptied of the power that you could have had. This could have been a good marriage. This could have been a good relationship. You could have reared your children right. You could have known what the will of God was, but guess what? Your life was emptied of the power of the cross. He even says here, this is a freebie, you know, not really the topic of the message, but he says in verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize. Churches that say that baptism is essential for salvation. Do you see that in Paul's ministry? He literally said, I didn't come to baptize. I came to preach the gospel. Paul clearly puts the emphasis where it needs to be, which is important. So the cause of the chaos, what, what all, there's a lot happening in this text, a lot. But I wanna see and show you a few things, maybe from the Old Testament. Paul is carrying some weight here he continues to bring the thought of them being a part of something, the church of God, part of something that is bigger and more inclusive rather than something exclusive or divided. And Paul qualifies the message of unity with the name of Jesus. He qualifies the message of unity. Look at it, verse 10. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the what? Name of Jesus our Lord that all of you agree in what you say. So he qualifies these, and, and there's three things. That you agree, that there's unity, that there's no divisions, looking at verse 10, 
and that you be united in your convictions. Where does this come from? Where does this behavior come from that Paul is talking about of saying something in the name of Jesus? Now, some people, some people see this as just a lack of respect. They say this as like the Corinthian church was at odds with Paul, and I see that. And you're gonna, I'm gonna point out a few things that are dead giveaways in the text, that there were issues between And you see it. He said, some say I'm of Paul. Some say I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas or Peter. I'm of Jesus. So there there were divisions, right? But specifically, for Paul to have to say, I'm coming in the name of the Lord, some would say it's because they they, they wouldn't receive what Paul had to say on his own. I don't necessarily agree with that. And here's why. Because I see a pattern in Scripture where if, if anyone was doing a work of God, they came in the name of the Lord. And I see the, I see the pattern in Paul's letters where he constantly said, I'm coming in the name of the Lord and I'm doing this in Jesus. The church is in Christ and he uses that language all the time. So here's something that I found interesting. Um, just by way of connection here, and I, and I think that it's so simple we can miss it. You know, it's so simple that we can look at that and he, well, in the name of the Lord. Of, co- of course he came in the name of the Lord, right? And it's, a simple illustration would be if my, if my twins were out back playing, you know, and I told my oldest and I said, hey, you know, go tell the twins it's time to come inside for dinner. And Rainy goes outside. My, my oldest, like, she's all about authority. She has, like, this great internal justice, internal justice system. Like, she, like, we... Prayerfully, um, we won't have to worry about her too much uh, in her deceptive qualities because she doesn't have very many of them. Like she wears it on her face. Right and wrong means a lot to her. Some of the others, they'll go unnamed. (laughs) We definitely will have to watch them their entire lives and we'll have to assume that they're being deceptive right out of the gate. But that is not Rainy. Rainy is very upfront. So, but she loves authority. She loves to be in charge. That firstborn just oozes out of her like control. So if I told her, go get your brother and sister from the backyard, I guarantee you the first thing out of her mouth would be, River and Ross, it's time to come inside. Why? Because she wants to usurp authority over them. She's been given a charge from her parents and she's gonna go out there and execute that charge and tell them, go inside. And I guarantee you within seconds, it would be this, like literally hitting the the reflex where the leg goes up, Ross would say, get lost. (laughs) Very close, something close to that. No, Rainy, I'm not going inside. He would push back from that authority. And then she would follow up with what? Mom and dad said, and I, I, emphasis the, I put the emphasis on mom first because that's where it is in our home. No, I'm kidding. Mom and dad or dad and mom said, it's time to what? Come in. And then, and only then, would they be spurred to action. Why? Because there's a difference between one that is a peer coming to them saying, and yes, there is a ranking there that happens naturally, but ultimately when mom and dad says it, you, came, you come bearing a message from the authority and that carries weight. I think there's more of that happening. I think there's more of Paul coming and saying, I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord. And, and there's more weight to that than just it's time to come inside. 
what is the weight? Well, the weight is, is he has this letter that he's writing to them and he's saying, I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord that if you don't understand this, the power of the gospel is going to be lost through the back door of your church because you're not receiving it rightly. Is this a pattern that we see the Lord displaying in other places? I think so. Let's look at, let's look at Exodus. It's right there in your program. If you have your Bible, it's Exodus chapter three, verses one through 15. I'm gonna read the whole thing. This is a familiar story. Exodus chapter three, verses one through 15. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. And Moses looked and he saw that the bush was on fire, but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. This is the burning bush experience. Anybody know the story? Can you imagine walking outside your door? I mean, the heat the last couple days would catch any bush on fire. But to see a bush on fire not consumed and then hear your name come out of that, whoa, something's going on. Something's happening down in the BQ. The bush is speaking. He says, here I am. He answered. I think, I think we would answer. Nowadays, it'd be like you'd think it was the camera or something talking to you. That thing gets us every time. You know what I mean? Anybody ever like log into your front door camera and like talk to your spouse when they're walking by just to like freak them out? Like, hey, <laughs> Kyle does it. I do it all the time. And then we, lo we look back at the, the camera footage that was saved at when we fell down the stairs AKA when Sarah fell down the stairs. <laughs> and we might watch it over and over again and laugh at it. It's pretty funny. If you wanna see it, I can be bought. <laughs> anyway, so Moses walks out his front door and the bush is on fire. Here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, verse five, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt, and I've heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings. I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians to bring them from the land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey the territory of the Canaanites, the Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, and the Hivites and the Jebusites. So because the Israelites cry for help has come to me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, therefore go, I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt. He says, the twins aren't gonna listen. Go tell them to come in for dinner. The twins aren't gonna listen. You see what's going on here? And he answered, I will certainly be with you. And this will be the what? The sign to you 
that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. I think there's so much significance there, but I don't have time to unpack it. We unpacked some of it during Easter. Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to him, say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his what? Name. name. What is his name? They're gonna ask, what is his name? What should I tell them? And, and this is where the English, the real name is lost in the English. The Lord says what his, what his name is here, I'm gonna tell you what it is. Verse 14, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, here it is, say this to the Israelites, the Lord. The Lord in, it seems like, oh, that's a, a status quo thing that's said through the Old Testament. It's Yahweh. The tetragrammaton, those four consonants in the Hebrew that doesn't necessarily translate into English for us, but it is Yahweh. He says, say this to the Israelites, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my what? Name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. How many know that the Lord is the same yesterday and today and forever? Here's what you have to understand. The apostle Paul knew his Old Testament. He knew that there is a name that God had and that name was above every name. We understand that the name of Jesus is the manifestation of Yahweh, the supreme being of the Old Testament. How many think it's two different gods, the old and the new? Or how many think it's the same God that chose a people group, Israel, to reveal himself to mankind, to come one nation, choosing one nation, that he may save all nations. And literally today, this thing of Pentecost, I was thinking about this today, in this message is the understanding that he used a burning bush to call out to call out a people to show himself God. He proved himself God, and then he used flames of fire on Pentecost to what? Call out every nation to reverse the curse, to then say, it is not for one people group, I am a God to every people group and remember my name. There is power in my name. He has done it from the old covenant all the way to the new covenant. And in the old covenant, he said, you remember, my name is Yahweh, God, if you would, God the Father, the supreme being, and now I am God manifest to every human being, and my name is Jesus, and there's power in his name. There's power in the name of Jesus to break what? Every chain. Do you understand what Paul is saying? He's literally having this, I'm a little bit excited about it. He's doing the same thing that happened at this burning bush experience. He's saying, you're, understand this. Pharaoh, Cody, Cody talked about this not long ago. Pharaoh was the, was the son of the gods in Egypt. The way they viewed the Pharaoh is that he was the son of the God and carried out the God, I believe their God's name was Re. And, and so in Egypt, their God would dispel or give and equip power to their son. Huh. 
Supreme being Yahweh equips and gives power to what? His son, who is Jesus, who carries the way to all mankind. It's the same exact thing. The Lord is actually supreme over every God. If there was, look, this is generation to generation. Understand, civilization to civilization. This snapshot in time is literally what's happening now. And Moses says the right thing. He says, they won't believe me. How am I, how am I a human being to go against the gods, Pharaoh? And he says, you say my name. You bear my what? Image. That's what we are, we're image bearers. This is the significance of the old covenant and the new covenant. We now, just as the children of Israel declared Yahweh as their supreme being over every other God and every, every battle that they fought, every conquest that they undertook was a win, except when they were in captivity and when they went against their God, Yahweh. It happens the same way. Paul is looking at this church and he's going, you're literally saying I'm of Paul I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter, and that's not how our God rolls. If, if you are taking up and claiming some dude's name, understand that if that dude is anybody in the church, it's because he claimed the name of Jesus. You're literally gonna poke a hole in the bottom of the milk jug. How many of you hate that? When you get the milk in your car and you put it in the floorboard and you go to pick it up out of the car and half of it's already, and then it's just this heat and it's soil, there's a hole in it. It's something, it's leaking. That's what Paul is saying. You're literally emptying the cross of its power, of its effect. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some of you unintentionally maybe, and maybe intentionally, have reduced your, you've reduced your faith down to a popularity contest. And that's a problem. We are conditioned that way. Okay, you get the gist. I kind of gave it away a little bit by my little rant. But anyway, I think, it's, I think it's important to say, when he says, now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that this is one of those moments. He's entering into the presence of Pharaoh among his own church. He's, he's walking in with the power of the name, knowing that it's not him. They're How about that? They're claiming Paul, and Paul is like, I'm not coming in my own name. This, is, this right here is the cause of the chaos. It's the cause of the chaos. How about that? When you're like name dropping, and the person's name that you're dropping is like right there going, no. Like, you might know my, like, third cousin. I'm not, we're not that tight. <laughs> and you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what's happening. Paul's like, you're claiming me, and I don't claim me. That's the problem. Let's, let's continue to dig in. Look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. I hope you can see why I just couldn't jump over this. Bless you, bless you. Is Christ divided, verse 13? The answer is clearly what? Come on, is Christ divided? No. Here's the next thing he says. 
was Paul crucified for you? What's the answer? No. Clearly knows. Here's what he's saying. Does anyone contribute to what Christ did in the salvific work? No. We handled this last week, but he's continuing to double down and say, listen, I need you to understand. And I'm gonna put my, now this time, before we get into the problems that you're dealing with, I'm gonna inject myself into this text and I'm gonna say, did I die for you? Did I do something for you? No. It's all about who? Jesus. He, he makes that clear. And then he clears himself of anyone claiming him. He's like, y'all are saying my name, but verse 14, he says, it's not me. He clears himself of that. Some of y'all would do well to clear yourself of all of the amazing things that you've done. I'm just gonna leave that right there. Some of y'all would do well to say that you're not as awesome as you think you are. That went over like a lead balloon. All right. <laughs> That's like the opposite, and this is why it's important. This, this book is gonna do some major work on us. It's doing some incredible, like, heart-wrenching work on me because this culture, today's culture, is like you just tell yourself how awesome you are. I, I mean, I'm hitting this hard every week. Why? Because this is what the culture tells you to do. But as long as the culture has you in that hamster wheel, then you will not have the victory of Jesus. The Lord, his name is the only name that will solve your problems and that will give you victory. If you, if you try to tear the name tag off his desk and put your name on it, it doesn't work. Get what I'm saying? How many remember that? Name tags on our desks, like for kindergarten, the big ones, you know, and then you like write them. Mine always looked bad. <laughs> Paul clears himself. Look at verse 17. So, I'm gonna give, well, I'm gonna give a few little inclinations by the, the wording Paul uses that I think are clues that he's dropping uh, because there's more to it, all right? First thing is this, look at verse 17. He says this, he says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with eloquent wisdom. We're gonna handle that word eloquent in just a second, but before we handle it, it's wisdom. He's saying not with eloquent wisdom. Uh, here's what he's doing. He's referencing the Old Testament again. So what I believe in him saying in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe that he's setting that precedent that Moses set, that every follower of God has set in, in past, I'm coming in the name of the Lord. All these victories and these battles will be won in the name of the Lord. Also what he's saying is not with eloquent wisdom. There are prophets that did that in times past. Here it is, Isaiah 29 verse 14. Therefore I will again confound these people with wonder after wonder. The wisdom of their wise will what? vanish and the perception of their perceptive will be hidden the snakes the staves of the Egyptian magicians that turned into snakes were devoured by the snake of Moses' staff the, the Lord the wisdom of the world will be made foolishness there was another prophet that did it Jeremiah 9 22 through 23 think, think about this I'm, I'm trying to show you that Paul is right in line with the old covenant He's not stepping out on his own. He's right in line with the same way the Lord's been working. Look at it. Jeremiah 9, 22, speak as follows. This is what the Lord declares. Human corpses will fall like manure on the surface of the field, like newly cut grain after the reaper with no one to gather it. Boast in the Lord. This is what the Lord says. The wise person should not boast in his wisdom, 
The strong should not boast in his strength, and the wealthy should not boast in his wealth. This is not a new thing where the prophet is saying, you think you know, but you what? You don't know. Paul is literally echoing Old Testament prophets here. Here's two possibilities, and this is just fun stuff as I'm studying this book. I'm finding neat little things that are being dropped. I think there are two issues that Paul is directly confronting from, uh, from this, this standpoint of Corinth. During this time in Corinth, you gotta think they had like public places. I mean, it wasn't like today when you know, everyone's off in their own little corner with their iPhone or with their, uh, what's that gaming system? Where's Carmen at? Where were we just talking about the, the one that the Switch? or the kids are playing the switch, or whatever, you know what I mean? It's not like that. They had public places that they would come, and orators would step up, and they would discuss, and they would talk about philosophy. They would talk about their discoveries. And this, one of these practices was called rhetoric. And so uh, the rhetoric that was practiced, it was uh, rhetorician, I believe, is what they were, those that practiced that. These men would stand up in a public place and maybe it would be a topic or something that they would uh, feel is important and they would discuss this. The Greeks, remember, this is an ancient, y'all are like, he gone school on me, shoot. Get back when you're yelling. Uh, this is important. Uh, addressing the culture, this culture specifically had an ancient pull to Greece. So these guys were all about head knowledge. They were all about looking smart, right? So that's the culture. <laughs> Sounds familiar, doesn't it? a culture that just wants that video to go viral or their comment or their one quote that won the internet for the day. It's the same thing. It's literally the same thing. Check out the way I worded that. <laughs> anyway, it's just the dumbest thing, but they do it. And so this thing of rhetoric, it was, it was all over the place in Corinth. So here's what happened. Apollos, my man Apollos, was the Bible says he was a mighty speaker. He was a mighty preacher. So here's, the, here's what I think Paul is doing, this crumb trail, right? Look at it in Acts. Acts chapter, I'll read it to you. Acts chapter 18, verse 24 through 28. This is talking specifically towards that time period when Paul was in Corinth. Listen to this. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man. Paul says in verse 17, not with eloquent wisdom, some people think Paul is taking a stab at Apollos. It's the same word. It's a descriptive word talking about how Apollos was the man. But here's what I don't, I don't believe that he is taking a stab at Apollos. I think he's saying something that Apollos would agree with. And I, I say that because I think Apollos was in Ephesus at this time as well. So I think that it was a collaborative effort to send this letter to that church and say, Tell, say it that way. Let them know that it's not me and it's not you, that they have it wrong, right? But here's the qualifying factor. It says that Apollos was an eloquent man who was competent in the use of scriptures and he arrived in Ephesus. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus, although he knew only John's baptism. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue after Priscilla and Aquila heard him, who we know that Priscilla and Aquila, Paul was staying with them, right? So it's all, you know, right there. <laughs> anyway, Priscilla and Aquila had heard him. They took him aside, they took Apollos aside, and they explained the way of God to him more accurately. And when he wanted to cross over to Achaia, the brothers and sisters wrote to the disciples to welcome him after he had arrived. He was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted the Jews in what? 
public demonstrating through the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. So here's what I want to, here's the picture I'm painting. Paul is saying it's not eloquent wisdom. What you're missing, Paul is saying this, Apollos is the man. He has the rhetoric down. He can stand up in a public place and smash the opposition because that's what they did. And so there's nobody, there's nobody that was gonna go toe to toe with Apollos. And I think this is a great thing to see that even Apollos in his preaching was still preaching the baptism of John. What does that mean? It means that before the Holy Spirit fell on the church at Pentecost, there, was, there, there is a forerunner, one is coming, the Messiah, Jesus is coming, and, and John would baptize them in water. But Jesus said, it is good that I what? Go away because I'm gonna send another one. And another one is the Holy Ghost, and when he baptizes, he's gonna baptize you with fire. You're gonna be filled with the Holy Spirit and you're gonna know what it's like to have your very own Jesus in your heart. Apollos didn't even know that. So my point is, is they played nice with others. Apollos, even though he wasn't even preaching the Holy Spirit yet, they still were like, look, we're on the same team. But here's what you have to understand. It's not about the way Apollos speaks, it's the message at what he is speaking. So he says, look, it's not eloquent wisdom. So understand that this was, he was out of the gate saying, some are saying, I'm of Paul. Some, I'm of Apollos. Why? Because they like the way he preached. Does this not happen today? Well, I go to that church. You know, the pastor keeps me moving. You know what I'm saying? If I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. The people who come in the door you know, and they're, well, you know, and I, we'll talk about it in starting point or wherever. So where are you coming from? Well, I was in this church, and I was in that church, and then I was in this church. The people who are not called here rarely stay here. The people who are called here, who are the family and who are our church, like, we're in this thing together. You know what I mean? Like there's something greater holding us together. And if you're here because you like the jokes, like there's gonna come a day where the joke doesn't land. There's gonna come a day where it's not as exciting, the newness wears off, and you're gonna go to the next place. Paul is like, that ain't it. You're missing the point. You get what I'm saying? So that's one part. And then this is kind of funny. If you look forward to... Uh, 2 Corinthians 10.10, 10. so this is coming in our study, but this, this, Paul literally says this. Were they on, <laughs> he says, for it is said, his letters are weighty and powerful, but his physical presence is weak and his public speaking amounts to nothing. They say that about Paul. So like he had an incredible pen, but he didn't have an incredible presence. So look, it could have been one of two things. They, they may have been disrespecting Paul, and they clearly were, they may have been tethered to Apollos because of his dynamic behavior. Either way, Paul is like, you are missing the point. It's going right over your head. There is power in the name of Jesus. That's where it is, that's where the power is. The secret sauce is what was in the burning bush, is what fell at Pentecost, it's what's in my heart, and it's his name that is above every name. You get, you get, you understand what I'm saying? But boy, is it so easy in this Facebook likes and Twitter follows or whatever, Snapchat, TikTok, goes to the clock, I have no idea. 
I don't know what, what it is. But it's like, how many views, how many, that call, I can imagine Paul just going, you have what? You do what, Robinson? And you post it, and they look at it, and then they like it? He's like, let me try one. Shoot me real quick. Let's see what we can get now. <laughs> see how many likes. Tell them. I'll make my tag real quick. <laughs> at Thorn in the Flesh. Sound good? It's edgy. It's edgy. I like it. At Thorn in the Flesh. <laughs> so dumb. It's, it's just like we are so driven by comparison. We're a hot mess. Am I, am I telling the truth or am I not? Here's a statement for you. Here's a statement. You ready? When you are comparing something, you will naturally elevate one thing where Jesus should be the only thing that is above everything. When you are comparing something, you will naturally elevate one thing where Jesus should be the only thing that is above everything. Do you get what I'm saying? Anytime you compare yourself to someone else, you're sitting in a position that Jesus should be. If, if the Lord is over your life, he is the Lord of your life, there's no need to compare. You're receiving directly what you should get at all times. But the moment you say, ah, just look at them, you removed yourself from the name that should be above you because you put someone else's name above you because you're comparing Comparison is killing our society. Anytime, mark it down, it doesn't matter, the equation works. Anytime you begin to compare this way, they are now in a position that only Jesus should be in. When you begin to compare and put one person above, that's the position Jesus should be in above everything. Okay, I just wanna reveal the layers here. I've got, we're actually doing okay. I have three things today that it's just the meat of verse 10 through 17. And listen, verse 17 is the foundation for verse 18 through chapter four. When he says, my concern here is that you are emptying the cross of its power, that's the concern. And he's literally gonna talk next week. We're gonna dive right into it. We've got a unique sermon illustration. As of now, it's the one I'm gonna use, but he's gonna talk about the wisdom of heaven or the wisdom of the cross and the wisdom of the world and how they're opposed. But before we get there, laying the foundation, I think it's just so, so clear how we should approach this. So I have three things that really reveal the layers, the, the cause for the chaos that they're having. Number one, here it is, you ready? Unity is the goal because we are being sanctified or set apart into the body of Christ under one name. When we embark on this book study, when we are studying scripture, Paul is very clear in this portion. You know what the goal is here, Church of Corinth? The goal is unity. That's the goal. Listen to this. I'm gonna just jump back and forth between Philippians and, and the text here. Unity is the goal because we are being sanctified in the body of Christ under one name. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, Paul says, Here's what he said to the church at Philippi. That at the name of Jesus, every what? Knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. We're gonna come back to that text, but I want you to understand that unity is the goal. What's the goal, church? 
Turn to your neighbor and say, unity. unity. Turn to your neighbor and say, I love you. I love you. <laughs> unity is the goal. It's the goal. Why? Why? Why is it the goal? Because we're being sanctified or set apart into one body under one name. Anytime there's another name, another aberration, another way, man, this is so hard, Pastor Matt. There's like a church for every day of the week. Yeah, you're right. There is. Hello. God bless. Stay with me. I, there's, there is, but the Lord has called you to a place under a name, and this is your place, and these are his people, and unity is the goal, and the only way we're going to get there is if we tear off our name tag and put the Simply Jesus name tag on ours. One name. We're all under one name. Unity is the goal. I'm a, unity is the goal. Okay, number two. Cooperation is the sign of the goal being accomplished. Watch this, not the results. Cooperation is the sign of unity being accomplished and not the results. We err when we say, well, they've had people saved. Well, they've got people in the water. You're gonna hear it in this book. Some planted, some watered, but God gave the increase. You're gonna hear that. Why? Because it's so easy for us to just look at the results of what we think matters. What about the season of life and the season of suffering that God uses for someone else that you'll never know? What if someone prayed and was faithful? What if the missionary Adoniram Judson, Hudson, Taylor, those that were on the shores of China and these other places for 40 years, losing their family and death by, by venture of just traveling there? A modern day Christian would look at them and say, they're not right with the Lord. They lost their kids, they lost everything, all their money. Americans can't handle that. We can't handle suffering for the cause of the gospel. We'd be like, man, the Lord's just not good with me. You'd be praying to some other voodoo doll because we're not content to suffer. It's not the result. There have been missionaries, Paul, Peter, who were willing to give their life and livelihood, why? Because they understood that it wasn't the result of their converts, it's whatever the Lord wanted for their life. We've gotta get out of this. The, if our church grows, it's because the Lord chooses to allow it to grow. It's because the Lord gives power to your actions and enabled you to do those said actions. What I'm not saying is don't witness. What I'm not saying is don't win people to Jesus. What I am saying is don't claim that as, you, as your success. What I'm not saying is that that is unity because it's not. Here's what unity is. I would, Paul said, look at, listen to this. He says, I don't want any divisions that you be united with the same understanding and the same convictions. He didn't say that you would all have the same numbers and metrics that you would all invite the same amount of people. Here's another scripture. Only, I love this scripture. Honestly, some of y'all, if this is the only thing you get, open up your heart real quick to receive this one. Philippians 1.27. Only, what's that word mean? Okay, just checking. It translates, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Sounds like the same guy who wrote what we're reading, because it was. 
Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's what mattered. What's the sign that we're doing right, Lord? How's your cooperation going? How's your connect group going? Are you guys gelling? Are you in agreement? Can we coexist? How's your marriage? How's your relationship to each other? Are we cooperating with one? Are we striving together for the faith of the gospel? That's the measure of unity. Well, we're growing. And 20 of them were mine this week. <laughs> Got them. <laughs> and, and I want the 20. That's not the point. The point is the cooperation. This isn't a vigorous sales team that's all about top performers. Everyone else below that threshold, you get cut, done. You ain't right with the Lord. And the problem with this is I've attended churches for years that this, the metric was everything. Are you tithing? You got a tie on? Okay, just checking. I'm sniffing some hypocrisy. <laughs> do, you read your, do you read your Bible every day? How about, are we getting along? That's actually a metric that Paul uses. It, it's actually a good one. He says, look, I'm coming in the name of the Lord. And if I'm coming in the name of the Lord, then you can get along. How about that? Nobody wants to talk about that. Everybody wants to talk about what we think success looks like because we're in comparison. But nobody wants to get along with someone who has a different political view than them. Nobody wants to get along with someone who came from a different background. That's unity. Uh, no, it ain't. Shoot. That ain't unity. Yes, it is. It is literally the definition of what Paul is saying. I don't want divisions among you. You don't think this church had different backgrounds? Let me help you with something. They did. Different allegiances. Some were, were leaders in the Roman government. Others were strict Jews that, were, that, that came, that migrated there. Others were old Greeks that were just like wanted to debate. Paul's like, I hear that you're quarreling. I want you to be unified. And a good sign of that is if you're cooperating with one another. This is, this is the cause of chaos, okay? Here's the last thing, number three. Look at, ver look at this. Look at verse number 17. And this is it. Verse number 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize. I'm gonna have one more holy gospel fit. You ready? For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach what? The gospel. Not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. I wanna read you the full passage of scripture here in Philippians that I've been quoting. Are you ready? This is it. Buckle up. Buckle up, buttercup. One more. Listen to this text. You're gonna, you're, you're gonna know this verse right out of the gate. But do you know the other scriptures that surround it? Here it is, you ready? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Oh, I got that one. Yeah, Jesus, let me think the way you think. He, he goes on. Here's, here's, here's number three. The third point is the gospel can and should stand on its own. If we internalize 
what the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ means and is, it will stand on its own in our life. You, you will be who you need to be in Christ, in the gospel. Your conversation will reflect it. It will be what it should be. This mind will be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. What does it say? But made himself of no reputation. This scripture right out of Philippians is exactly what the church of Corinth needed. Paul was like, let me hit this one right out of the park. Philippi has it. Jesus himself, if he thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation, if Jesus himself took upon the form of a lowly servant and was made in the likeness of a man when he was a God, maybe you can take his name and not bolster your name because that's what the gospel does. It stands on its own. It's not supported. You don't stand up the gospel. The gospel stands in your life. Here's what it says. He, he humbled himself. He became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. What is Paul saying? He's saying, I don't want the cross emptied of its power. And if you understand what the cross stands for, the gospel will stand on its own. Wherefore God, <laughs> Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God, don't miss this verse, for it is God, who worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. Sounds like the same eschatological timeline. That I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain, yea. And if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all for the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice in me. Two churches, one understood that the gospel stood on its own. The other was trying to define the gospel by their goodness. What will it be for you? As we embark on the treacheries of this church, will the cause of chaos continue in your life? Will you continue to take credit for the very thing that Jesus has already done? Let it stand on its own. Let me ask you this. Well, pastor, am I doing okay in this whole thing? How are you cooperating with others? That's the sign. That's the sign. If you're cooperating, it's a sign. If you're cooperating well with others, then we're headed in the what? In the right direction. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Church, as we continue into this dysfunctional church, Perhaps the first action, and don't miss this, while you're praying, listen, perhaps the first action is to eliminate the competition, quite literally. Some of Paul, some of Apollos. Perhaps the first course of action is to eliminate the competition and give all our efforts to promoting one name, the name of Jesus, simply Jesus. You see, if your competition 
is getting the grace. Here's what it is, it's yourself. If your name, <laughs> listen to me church, your name is above his name, if you're tethering everything that's happening to you and you're internalizing all the good things that you're doing and you're keeping track, it's time you eliminated the competition and did away with your name and just take on his name. Just take on his name. You're competing against yourself. You're, you're striving against yourself and you need to strive with the gospel and the gospel stands on its own. The Lord's not requiring metrics of you. He's already provided the metric for you. Some of you, I need to release you from yourself. You, you are battling your own inner comparison, your own worst enemy, and here's what the Lord wants for you. The Lord wants you to live in victory. We've been singing about it all morning long. Maybe the unity is in your own heart. You're not unified with your savior. You are in conflict with what he's trying to do in your life. Let go. Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments, send us a message, and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week and God bless.